Clouds Without Rain, part three from Jude verses 17 to 25. So this morning we arrive at the last message in our series called Short Letters, which is based on the four shortest letters or epistles in the New Testament, in the Bible. And and we conclude with the last few verses in the book of Jude and what a way to finish as well with this amazing doxology that we're going to get to and we're actually going to finish our our time of praise this morning with that. Now Jude has gone out of his way to warn the church about the dangers of straying from the truth by following false teachers. Now, you might have noticed that uh, most of the things that we purchase today have two things, an owner's manual and within the owner's manual you usually get a, a warning label. Sometimes the warning label is inside or sometimes it is outside. And someone made an observation regarding the times that we live in. And uh, the comment was this, if you think that you are smarter than the previous generation, consider this. Fifty years ago, the owner's manual of a car showed you how to adjust the valves. Today, it warns you not to drink the contents of the battery. Now, Jude repeatedly warned his readers not to drink the poison from the false teachers. But, and, and, had, and he had to do this because as the church was expanding and, had, and the church under tremendous opposition, continued to explode in growth. And he had to warn them to watch out for these false teachers and to warn them about the dangers of apostasy and and deception and, and falling away from the faith. Warn them against rejecting the truth and also reminding them of the reality of God's final judgment. But it is not enough to just know what the negative things are to watch out for because otherwise you you just continually be filled with fear. You can't do this, you can't do that. But they have to, there there is a positive life that the Christian needs to live in order to contend for the faith. And this is why at the close of this short letter he gives some instruction by getting into the how-tos to make it easier to follow uh, this morning's headlines. All the all the headlines, all the headings, uh, the subheadings are in the letter R. All right, so it'll help you follow that, except for the last one that we will finish in worship. So verse 17, remember the words of the apostles, verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. So these couple of verses, uh, 17 to to 19, they serve as a a bridge or a transition for everything that has been discussed thus far and the way that he will finish. So these verses are a transition. Having described these false teachers in in great detail, now he speaks to the faithful, reminding them that they should, in turn, remember from the teaching of the apostles 
and how that should benefit them as they contend for the faith in the difficult days that they are living in now and in the days to come. But 11 days ago, we had Remembrance Day in Australia as we remember those who fought in, not just in the First World War, but I think in all the wars, offered their, gave their lives in service for their country. And the ode says, uh, we shall remember them. And everybody pauses and uh, just reflects on the lives, the great sacrifice paid by those men and women in years gone past. But it's also, in a way, it's not just remembering something melancholic, which, which it is, it's a moment of sadness, but it's also, in a, in a way, as you remember them, it also, it's supposed to inspire you, how will you, with facing similar challenges, how will you then do the same, inspired by their lives and by their sacrifice, what will you do, what will I do? Am I, will I be as committed as they were to the cause? Will I be as, as willing to pay the ultimate price? And I think when it comes to, in, in the Christian context, as we remember, and we, through communion, hopefully we can celebrate communion soon, we remember what the Lord has done, but we, it is also a recommitment for the challenges ahead and for the future. It's, it's great to remember the way that Jesus died on, this, on the cross and we, we describe that. The, the Bible describes it in detail, but at the same time it's supposed to jolt us and saying, this is the reason why he did it. By this stage, most of the apostles were already martyred for their faith. I think John was the only one that, that was still alive. But the gospel message that they proclaimed and the warnings that go with them, that must continue. And they didn't come up with this. It wasn't an original gospel message. This was what they received from Jesus Christ, from his lips that were there. Personally, they beheld his glory and therefore they pass it on and that must continue. Let's recall the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. This is what he said. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious Wolves. Ouch. Oh, but he looks so nice. He's so presentable. He's so gentle. Jesus said, watch out. Watch out. Remember then the words of the apostles, because they are the words of Jesus. And then recognise, the next R is recognise the false teachers, verses 18 to 19. They, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow me natural instincts and do not have 
the Spirit. Like I said, even though they might look harmless and be mild-mannered and disguised as wolves in sheep's clothing, we should be able to recognise them. To scoff means to, to mock, to express derision or, or scorn. So while we usually associate scoffing with what comes out of people's mouths, the verbal stuff, Jude doesn't stop there. He goes beyond that to their behaviour, to their lifestyle. He's saying the way that they behave is scoffing, is mocking God. And the main way that they mocked God was through their actions. And in this regard, they probably can't be accused of being hypocrites, saying one thing and living another, right? That's what a hypocrite is. No, they actually live out what they say. They mock God with their mouths and they mock God with their lifestyle. Couldn't care less. Now, this is what Jim Baker, I don't know if you remember the name Jim Baker, Jim and Tammy Baker, I think, uh, televangelist who in the 80s, it was all over the news, it was around about the same time as the, the Swaggart scandals. Um, in the 80s, he went to prison, Jim Baker went to prison for fraud. And uh, this, is how, this is what he said, I'm just quoting him, he said, I started out... By believing, by believing God for a newer car than the one I was driving. I started out believing God for a nicer apartment than I had and then I moved up. Okay, that sounds okay, I suppose, but does that mean the, the person in, in Asia, in Africa, in South America, many other parts of the world who doesn't have a nicer car, just has a, you know, if he has a car at all or a bicycle, does that mean their faith is, is not as strong? Does that mean that they didn't believe God enough? Is that, is that really what he's saying here? Be careful, be careful. And then he went on to say, he said, Why should I apologise because God throws in crystal chandeliers, mahogany floors and the best construction in the world? When they raided his his amazing house in... uh, And I remember the news at the time when they raided his house. Even the dog kennel had air conditioning. Right? So your dog doesn't have, lives outside, right? Doesn't have any air conditioning. Shame on you. And they were just living out. But, but they were living, they were, they were doing something that they weren't telling people about. This is exactly what they were flouting. This is what the televangelists do. They, a lot of the bad ones, this is what they do. They tell you, this is what they're doing, this is their lifestyle, and they collect money for their jets and the, their villas and whatever, because God has blessed me, you too can be blessed. And the way that God has blessed me is something that you should 
be jealous about. And if you trusted God just as much, then God would bless you as well. And the main way that they restrict, constrict or define God's blessing is materially. That's it. Healthy, wealthy, that's it. And you think about the many brothers and sisters who humbly, we visited them, Ted and I and some of you know exactly humble conditionings. Difficult circumstances and they bring to you, they don't have enough for themselves but they will, it's their honour and privilege to serve you what they themselves don't have. And you say, Wow. How can I refuse? The next R is reinforce your faith. Verses 20 to 21. Reinforce your faith. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. In, uh, in the construction industry, in construction, there are certain things that are done according to where the building, the size of the building and where it is positioned. Uh, because you need to take into account the, the prevailing conditions. For example, a, a house built in, in northern Queensland will have different specs to a house built in Sydney because of the real possibility of cyclones. That's just one, one of the challenges. In a similar way, we can say that brothers and sisters who have, who understand and who know and undergone real persecution for their faith, know the real value of their faith and what it means to carry the cross. So, I, I say that because we, it, it's hard for us to to understand that because we, we live in such a free society we, where we can, so far, we can share the gospel. So we should not expect people like most of us here to understand what it's like to risk life and limb in order to meet together as a church in a clandestine way. Suddenly the government says, okay, Meetings are cancelled. Remember what happened with COVID? This government order says, okay, no one is allowed to meet. It's not for a pandemic, it's not for public safety. It's simply because Christians are renowned for their hate speech. So therefore we will cancel all your meetings. And then on Sunday morning or whatever day of the week, people say, okay, we're meeting in such and such a place. What do we do? Are we going to risk it? Oh, we just, well, the Lord understands. We really don't have to risk our lives and that of our children and that of the other brothers and sisters. That's just... um, Worship God in the comfort of our own home, in the safety of our own home. And let's just...
That's a real possibility, folks. It's a real possibility. What will you do? What will we do? Build yourselves up, because if you don't build yourself up, I know what the answer is going to be. Now is the time to build up your faith. Not when the challenge comes, build yourself up for when that time comes. And your commitment is already made, I say, no. Down at church, irrespective of the consequences, and I'm not talking about pandemics, I'm not talking about COVID, I'm not talking about some other safety issue, I'm talking about some edict that's come from the powers above that says, sorry, church is cancelled for the next foreseeable future. This is exactly what many brothers and sisters around the world have to face each day. Those Christians who live behind the Iron Curtain, exactly like this. Many places in in the Middle East, Pakistan, Iran, Exactly like this. It's real. So how do you counter that? How do you counter that? How do you prepare yourself for that? Well, a couple of things Jude mentions here. He says we must pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is mentioned three times, that that phrase, praying in the Spirit is mentioned three times in the Scriptures. Um, It it does not refer to the words we are saying necessarily or even it doesn't refer to speaking in tongues because that is something else. Rather, it refers to how we are praying. Praying in the Spirit is praying according to the Spirit's leading. We are prompted for things the Spirit leads us to pray for. And this is necessary because it is futile to try and do things in our own strength. We're just sung, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And even the prayers that we pray are prompted by the Spirit, are prayed through the Spirit. And to that end, it was the Apostle Paul himself who said in, in Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. You've been there, right? How do we pray about this? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit in us. The wonderful gift of God. And then he tells us, keep yourselves in God's love. Please note that he does not say, keep yourselves saved. He doesn't say that. Because he already assured us that we are called, that we are loved and, and kept in Jesus Christ. That's in verse 1. And through obedience, what happens through obedience is that we stay in the place of blessing. And from our series in in John, we, we recall the words of Jesus, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Right? Keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Next R, 
ready for Christ's return. Verse 21, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Now the word for, for wait here means, to, means earnestly expecting or even anxiously expecting, that's the NASB. It describes an attitude to life that is, is actually motivated by the Lord's return. And while the apostates can only expect judgment, God's children are looking forward to their final redemption. You've got to be looking forward to this. It's what we live for. It's what we were saved for. And remember that for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight which look forward to his return. One to eight. What is God telling us? On May the, the 19th, um, 1780, May the 19th, 1780, this guy of uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, it, was, it got dark really quickly. And, and some of the, uh, in the House of Representatives, they were meeting in, in Parliament, State Parliament there, and, and uh, they were glancing out the, the windows and they were fearing, they were really fearing that the end was at hand. And uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, Colonel Davenport, he was trying to quell the, the clamour for adjournment of the meeting, you know, that we should stop meeting because the day of judgment is here. And he rose up and said, in a quote, he said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. And the meeting continued, the sitting. And I think that's, that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? You curl up in a fetal position, waiting for the Lord's return. Or do you want to be found doing what you are called to be, to be doing, what you're supposed to be doing? Rather than fearing what is to come, we are to be faithful till Christ returns. Make sure that your lamps are full of oil, right? So you don't know how all the time. Instead of fearing the dark... What are we called to do? We are to be lights in the midst of darkness as we watch and wait for the Lord's return. Reach out, verses 22 to 23, reach out. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire and to, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. I find it interesting that what, what Jude is, is doing here in these verses, um, in the way that he instructs us to deal with people in spiritual danger. What we can see is that there is no one blanket approach, one approach to deal with people in, in different people, in different situations, who are struggling in their faith. 
we have to treat them differently. And Jude mentions three groups and then instructs us concerning our attitudes, what should be our, the way that we are to treat them. And uh, Warren Weasby, in his little book, has a, has a helpful grouping that I'm going I'm to borrow. The first group is the doubting. Now, these people are converted, they are not, but they are not well grounded in the faith. They are Christians who are weak in the faith and, and are being swayed by false teaching. What we are to do is to try and answer their questions, try to reason with them, because these immature believers are like little children who think they know what they're doing, who think they know right from wrong, but they don't. Despite that, we, we are to have compassion, he says. Be merciful to those who doubt. We are to have compassion for them, gently, patiently reminding them of the glorious truth. And it's no big secret, guys, that false teachers pray, pray, especially on disgruntled church members and those who used to go to church. Oh, you used to go to church, did you? What happened? Whoa, come to and join us. The, I don't know, Mormons, JWs, and the myriad of other stuff, right? Over the years I have seen this happen. It breaks your heart. The second group that Jude mentions, the burning. These are the people who might have already actually joined an apostate group. They are already committed to false teaching and are in danger of becoming even more entrenched. And Jude said that these people need to be treated with a sense of urgency. In his words, they need to be snatched from the fire. Snatched from the fire. When did that happen? Remember when Lot in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, led, uh, the angels came and lit and, and they guided Lot out of the city, even though his wife turned around and turned into a pillar of salt, but Lot and his uh, daughters, they, they escaped. It is much easier, let me say, it is much easier to instruct young Christians and keep them away from false teaching than it is to snatch them out of the fire. Much easier. And the third group is the dangerous, the dangerous. Now this group of people, as the name suggests, are the most dangerous, not just to themselves, but to others who might be trying to reach out to them. And, and when he says, when Jude says mercy mixed with fear, it means use extreme caution. We are actually to fear being contaminated by their twisted thinking and their corrupt lives. And those who reach out to people in this group should be spiritually mature and aware of the potential dangers of being trapped themselves. And the words that are, that are used here, it says, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh, is that there was an instruction from the Old Testament that the priests, when they, when they dealt with somebody who was suffering from leprosy, for example, and they didn't want to be contaminated, they had to burn 
the, the clothing. For example, I have, I think many of us would have read in the news and, and social media um, how many Christian artists and Christian bands who set out with the best intention to reach out to the lost and yet somewhere along the way they lose their faith altogether. It's terrible. I mean, I know because my, my son was involved in, in a band and he heard his stories of so many Christian artists being, losing their way, losing in, in not just their way but their faith altogether. The principle here is that stronger believers must never think that they are beyond satanic influence. I'm, I'm very careful with the words that I'm using because I'm saying influence and not possession. A Christian can be influenced by demons and Satan's power, but they cannot be possessed. We must love God's people, but we must also hate sin because of the damage that it does. And I think you will obviously come across people like this who might have been part of your youth group or, you know, you might have, in my case, I might not have seen these people for 20, 30, 40 years and suddenly through Facebook you come across them and you look at their page and say, okay, is there a Christian anymore? What happened? Somewhere along the way. And, and the answer is, if you try and start a conversation, the answer would be, well, I used to go to church, but not anymore. Now I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Okay. Now there was an interesting study done a few years ago. There, there was a poll which shed some light on this paradox that we live in in our days where there's increased spirituality and also decreased morality. And according to a sociologist, uh, Robert uh, Bella, he said that in America, he says 81% of the American people also say that they agree that an individual should arrive at his or her own religious belief in, independent of any church or synagogue. That they should, every individual should arrive at their own, everybody should find their own religious belief. Whatever works for them, basically, is what they're saying. 81% of the people believe that. So the key to the paradox is, that, is the fact that those who claim to be Christians are arriving at faith on their own terms. And the terms that they choose is, are the terms that make no demands on behaviour, morality. A woman, for example, a woman named Sheila uh, embodies this attitude and she said, I believe in God, she said, but I can't remember the last time I went to church. But my faith has carried me a long way. And her faith is called Sheilaism, Sheilaism. Just my own little voice, she says. That's what Sheila is, is her own little voice. Whatever your heart tells you, just do it. What a, 
What a contrast, right, to the consistent message from the Scriptures, which is what Jude is doing here. Rather than being focused on us, he's saying, look at God. Focus on God. Obey Him. And and, and he concludes his, his letter with this, Marvellous expression in unrestrained adoration and worship. It's like he goes to another level and he just says, this is the way I'm going to finish, guys. With all the hard words that I've said in these previous verses, I want you to focus on the prize, on, on, on God. And this is how we're going to conclude this morning in worship. Verses 24 to 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and evermore. Amen. What is a doxology? A doxology is a, is a statement of worship and praise towards God. That is, that is what a doxology is. Now, it serves to remind believers in, in all situations, right, and in all ages, that the ultimate purpose of their lives is to live for the glory of God alone. Not about us, it's about Him. So Jude concludes his letter in the same way that he began it, by giving words of assurance to those who know the Saviour and, more importantly, are known by the Saviour. He is able to keep you from stumbling. He has the power to protect us, even from ourselves. It does not say, please listen, it does not say now to him who does keep you from falling because God does not always keep us from falling. In other words, he's able, but he does not always do it because there's a lesson that we need to learn. It could be pride. It could be uh, some blind spot and we need to fall sometimes to learn the hard lessons that will not be learnt any other way remember Peter's boasting Lord I will not deny you no matter who, if anybody else I will follow you and Jesus says Peter For the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he had to go through that. He had to go through the tears, sorrow, pain, in order to learn a lesson that he would not have learned any other way. And the lessons that we learn are humility, perseverance. And Jude is writing about the believer's daily walk with the Lord and the danger of going astray and stumbling but he will never permit one of his own to be lost. They cannot, we cannot be snatched from his hands, he's saying. 
So although Jude has told us, keep yourselves in God's love, he also points out that it is God who keeps us. We are to contend for the faith and persevere, but ultimately our security does not rest on us. Yes, we will fail, but we can trust that our God is faithful and able to keep us in his grip and to present us, and this is the beautiful thing, to present us blameless before himself. There are constantly a number of people who are saying, ha ha, look, you failed. Throwing stains on the church, throwing stains on Christians, because they're trying to pull us down to their level. But this is a promise that we be presented blameless. All that guilt, all the stains, all the things that Satan is constantly accusing us. Gone. Blameless before himself. Not only does he do this, he does it, it says here, with. It's not like, okay, Paul, all right, you squeezed in, mate. No, he's saying with great joy. With great joy. He's going to be happy about it. More than happy, he's rejoicing in the fact that one of his own is in his presence. This is why we go to praise him. From the rising of the sun to the going down, let the name of the Lord be praised. We conclude with a story. Um, You might know the, the name Franz Joseph Hayden, the Austrian virtuoso composer he lived between uh, in, in the 18th century he lived classical composer and considered the father of the symphony he was brilliant and he was present at the Vienna Music Hall where his oratorio The Creation was being performed The Creation, guess what that's about right? and uh, he was old, he was weakened by age and the great composer only made it there in a wheelchair and as the majestic work moved along, the, the audience was, was getting caught up with tremendous emotion. This is what a good symphony is supposed to do, okay? And when the passage, when the part of the passage, and there was light, was, was reached, the chorus and the orchestra burst forth in such power that, that the crowd, the whole of the crowd, just could no longer restrain their enthusiasm. It burst out. The vast assembly just rose in spontaneous applause. And Hayden, he was on his, um, on his wheelchair, he struggled to stand and he stood up and he motioned for, for silence and pointed towards the heavens. Right? No, no, not from me, but from him. And Saul comes, he said, from him. Having given all the glory to the Creator, he then fell back on his chair, totally exhausted. Folks, 
may we get exhausted praising our Lord. Right? We get exhausted with so many other things. Or let our praise continue. Yes, our bodies are going to get old and weary and the rest of the stuff. Age shall not weary them. Don't believe it, right? But with God, with God we can face the future without fear. Let the people of God rejoice. Be encouraged. Our God is in control and we know, he tells us, we know how the story ends. You know it. Let us live as the children of God. Amen.